The first reading is taken from the book of Micah, chapter 4, verses 2 to 5, and can be found on page 932 of the Church Bible. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from John 15, reading from verses 12 to 17, and it's page 1083 on the Pew Bible. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we have come together this morning to contemplate one of the greatest terrors of our life, revealing the possibilities of the greatest courage and sacrifice, we ask that you would send your spirit upon us this morning that you would open your words through Bill, that you would open our ears to hear you and our hearts to respond with integrity, courage, and truth. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit that we may still hold your joy in times of grief and your courage in the times of struggle. Bless us this morning, we pray. Amen. Bill. Well, thank you, Mike. And thank you, uh, Hannah and Reggie, for the, the readings. They say in war that it's 90% boredom, which it is, 9% worry, 
and 1% absolute abject fear. But there's always time for humor, certainly in the boredom phase. And I'm always struck in 2003 when uh, Jeff Hoon was talking about Umkasa, which is a place I know well, and one or two other members in the audience know it too, which is a small port in southern Iraq. And he was asked by the, uh, the reporter to compare Umkasa to something back home, and he said it's, it's similar to Southampton. And this was relayed to a young Marine on the beach who said, hmm, well, Jeff Hoon's either never been to Southampton or he's never been to Umkasa. There's no beer, no women. The people are shooting at us. It's like Portsmouth. So what are we remembering? Well, the history of Remembrance Sunday is pretty clear. It remembers it's the Sunday that lies close as possible to Armistice Day, which is the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour, and marked the end of the First World War. The poppy, which we're all wearing, came along slightly later, 1921, and was really there not to reflect the fact that this is the same color as blood, but rather to uh, call back into a very popular poem at the time by Colonel John McRae in Flanders Field. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row. So it's to remind us of what happened. And since Remembrance Day, Remembrance Day has been broadened to encompass every conflict since. But the numbers and statistics are startling. In the First World War, the UK had about a population of 45 million. We lost over 700,000 dead, 16,000 civilians, and 1.7 million injured. Globally, 8.2 million people were killed. The centenary on the, of the First World War is very much upon us, and the, I'm sure we all walk past the memorial outside and pay scant attention to the 65 names that are on it. 22 who were old boys at St. Jude's. There were three that I picked out and just researched quickly last night on the uh, War Graves, uh, Commonwealth Wargrave Commission website. There was Royal Marine, Private John Edgar, 21 years old, killed at the Battle of Jutland in 1916 in HMS Black Prince. Fred Randall lived in Highfield Road, 21, killed in, Be uh, in Belgium. And Private Edward Bishop, a young man, second Hampshire's, who died two months before the end of the war, at the end of September. He was under, I think he was only 18. In the Second World War, the numbers are equally stark. Militarily, we lost 48,000 personnel. 67,000 civilians were killed. 450,000 injured. But in total, worldwide, the rest are made to be 2.3 billion deaths as a result of the Second World War. During the Second World War, Portsmouth paid a price. The city suffered 67 raids. Our streets bear the scars. Look out at Palmerston Road. It's 1960s and 1970s, 
not the Victorian era that was the original architecture that, uh, that was there. And somehow St. Jude survived. I understand there's a story of the vicar and the church wardens pushing the fire bombs off the roof and dousing the flames. But if you saw the slideshow earlier, you'll know that Palmerston Rome was devastated. 80,000 people lost their homes in Portsmouth. There were 930 civilian casualties and over 2,000 people injured. There are mass graves in Portsmouth as a result of those raids. And although the pictures in black and white somehow numb us to the effects, think of Aleppo, think of Syria, think of Iraq. That's what happened here. It seems hard to believe now. Since then, I'm told there have been approximately 23 days when there has not been war somewhere in the world. All of, all of us can remember some of these conflicts, particularly that those that occurred during our lifetime or in which we were directly involved. For me, it's probably Iraq and Afghanistan, but for others, and I know there's one or two in the audience, it'll be the Falklands, perhaps Northern Ireland. Even the Blitz, if you're a bit older, or a memory of a favorite father, mother, brother, sister, uncle, or aunt who never came home. There's always someone to remember. This summer, um, I visited Central Europe with my wife, and we were lucky enough to visit Prague, Czechoslovakia, the country that they remember that Chamberlain gave away to appease Hitler, and followed by Krakow and Poland, with obviously Auschwitz and Birkenau close by. When you come up close to a country that has suffered under occupation and subjugation, you begin to value freedom in a different way. The Jewish genocide was startling for its industrial scale and efficiency. And a stark reminder of what can be done, allegedly, for the greater good. There are freedoms that we all take for granted that were denied to them. Freedoms to worship here at church. Freedoms to express their views, to move freely, live peaceably, talk to who they want, and very much live a life as we enjoy at the moment. And for our tomorrows, those names on the war memorial generally did give their todays. Freedom is never free. Jesus gave his life for freedom, and you can't find really a closer parallel than the reading from John and the sacrifices that have been made. And we remember so we don't forget. So where do we fit in as Christians? Hmm. Well, I suppose the idea of sacrifice is very central to our beliefs. You've heard this morning, as I said, with John and to a certain extent with Micah. And Christ sacrificed his life for us to take away our sins. But surely doesn't Christian teaching turn us towards peaceful uh, outcomes, turning the other cheek? Surely we as Christians should be pacifists. I'm not sure it's that simple. If an old lady has her arm twisted, eventually she will give up a handbag. Does that mean we as Christians stand by and watch her being mugged? Or do we intervene? Or put it another way, is it right for those who accept, as we all do, the privileges of peace and a free society that when it's under threat, we're unwilling to, uh, to fight for justice? I don't know the answers to that. And you'll find all of us who wear uniform, none of us are warmongers. Far from it. 
we understand its cost, but we do believe that if the cause is just, and as a last resort, it can be the only source of redress. So when you stop, as I hope you will, on Wednesday at 11, give thanks to the sacrifice of those who uh, have given it for you. Think of those less fortunate, those in Syria, Sudan, Mali, Nigeria, Eritrea, and Yemen, the God's prediction, as laid out in Micah's book, that swords be turned into plowshares and uh, spears into pruning hooks comes true. But finally, I'd like to uh, just close with the, the poem that Mike read outside from the War Memorial. Those that died in war, that we at peace might live. These gave their best, that we our best should give. Not for themselves, but freedom right. They fought to bid us forward to the fight. The 62 individuals, including the old boys of St. Jude's, worshipped here only 100 years ago. To allow, and live, to allow us to live in peace and freedom that we enjoy. We need to make sure we live up to their legacy. Thank you. We're going to come now to a time of prayer.